All right. Good morning. And uh, for those of you who are joining us online, it's great to have you with us. Give me a moment. I'm just getting my notes together. There we are. That is so wonderful. Now, I noticed that we have a few new people in the room. So before I start, I just want to lay down some context for you because, well, to be honest, this is a bit of a somber message. And uh, I'm, uh, in a sense, a bit of a prophet of doom here today. But I want to remind you that we're doing something here. We're on a journey together, and this preach doesn't stand by itself. There's been two that have come before, and there's some that are coming after. So for those of you who are new in the room, I want to remind you of this or point out something to you. This is family for us. This is home. What Andrew and I did is such a beautiful picture. Wherever you go, when you walk in the door, this is home. And because you're part of the larger family of God, you can do that anywhere and still feel like I belong. So one of the things about family, and I've got my family right here in the room. They're the noisy bunch. Somewhere down the line, you'll hear them right, is that we have difficult conversations, right? We've had those, I remember when Johnny first came to my home to ask for Leah's hand in marriage. And the thing is that all along, one of the things that I had been saying is that anyone who comes and asks to marry Leah and comes and talks to me better learn to walk on crutches. <laughs> now, the problem was when Johnny came that day, that day he walked in the door Akiva had had a bit of an accident with basketball and his crutches were lying near the door. <laughs> Johnny walks in and sees that and uh, the rest of the conversation, he was a little uneasy. But uh, we've had hard conversations, dinner table conversations, and this is one of those. And so for those of you who are with us for the first time, we're in a series called Rethinking Sexuality. This is the third of that series. The first one was titled, How You View God is How You View Your Sexuality. And the second one was that the gospel is written in our sexuality. Now, my, my message today is the exciting title of the destroyer of our sexuality. How exciting is that? Hmm. Right? Yep, I'm getting those looks. But can I tell you this, my friends? I don't want to leave you feeling somber. I want to leave you feeling alert, awake, and aware. And that's the whole point of what I want to share today. See, one of the things that has become clear over the last two weeks is this, that our human sexuality is more than just our male and femaleness. There's more to it than just being a male or a female. It's a part of us that desires intimacy, the part of us that is drawn to someone else, and we want to be vulnerable with those people. And we see that kind of played out in the context of marriage, you see that when a couple come together in, in union, in marriage, and any kids in the room? Just the two, three there. Okay, I'm trusting for some Holy Spirit silencing, right? But when, they, when you get together with your spouse and you are married and you get to the room and you remove your clothes, there's an area of vulnerability there. What's the first thing that happened when Adam and Eve fell? They covered their nakedness because shame comes in. But God calls us to a place of vulnerability because it's a picture of his desire for us. Hardwired into this beautiful metaphor of our sexuality is the fact that God himself is a relational God. 
and he wants to be in an intimate and meaningful relationship with us because he has created you and he has created me for relationship. See, everything God does is intentional. And that's what he did. When he designed our sexuality, built into that is the reality that we are drawn to him. And he wants us to come to him and be open and vulnerable with him. But the problem is that somehow this has got twisted and tarnished. And now it is broken. And that's where we are. Since human sexuality is God's design, it is his intention, there is a natural enemy that we have. Can you imagine this? Our sexuality is intended to reflect God's desire for covenant relationship with us. And what do you think? If there is an enemy of God, what do you think that enemy is intent on destroying? Because impacting our sexuality is to impact our relationship with God. Soon as our sexuality is impacted negatively, our relationship with God is impacted negatively. And ultimately, the enemy wants complete and utter destruction of our intimacy with God. Satan wants to destroy holy sexuality. He understands how powerful it is. What a powerful representation it is of God's love. And so everything he does is a deception or a lie that is designed to draw us away from that relationship, to destroy our understanding and appreciation of the gift of sexuality. In her book, Rethinking Sexuality, Dr. Julie Slattery says this, If the body and sex are meant to proclaim our union with God, and if there's an enemy who wants to separate us from God, what do you think he's going to attack? If we want to know what's most sacred in this world, all we need to do is look for what is most violently profaned. The enemy is no dummy. He knows that the body and sex are meant to proclaim the divine mystery, and from his perspective, this proclamation must be stifled. Men and women must be kept from recognizing the mystery of God in their bodies. Everywhere look, everywhere look is the evidence of this attack upon human sexuality. One such example is Tanita's story. And Tanita is going to share a little bit of that with you today. I was um, molested and physically abused from a young age. <clears throat> the place that was meant to be my safest was not. The people that were meant to protect me didn't. And I grew up thinking it was normal. By the time By the time I was a teenager, I had been forced to have an abortion. I had been through the legal system and lived in safe houses. This is not merely random, but was risk delicious. 
ritualistic abuse. My experiences left me fearful of human contact. Physical touch was nearly impossible and I didn't trust anybody. In the deepest part of my heart, I believed in God. I didn't understand, but I clung on to hope. <clears throat> I came to Dubai five and a half years ago. I didn't want to, but I am grateful for God's providence because it is this community that has strengthened me. I'm still working to get stronger, but I'm grateful for the small breakthroughs. I've seen what I've seen what family looks like. I've seen what caring, shelter, and a safe place is meant to be. I've seen God's love reflected through this community. I still have a long way to go, but I do trust God for complete breakthrough and complete restoration. For the last uh, five years, Michelle and I have been walking a journey with Danita to help her deal with some of the deep scars and trauma that she carries. It's been wonderful to watch God slowly restore her. When we hear the stories, when we see those wounds emerge, we have no doubt whatsoever that those wounds were inflicted in a spiritual battle. But equally, we've seen the powerful, redemptive work of God in her life. The point I'm making is this, my friends, that it is not enough for us to be vaguely aware of a spiritual battle that's somewhere out there in the heavenly realms. This is home and it hits home none of us is exempt and we must acknowledge that there is a deadly enemy we are contending, contend, uh, contending with and he is out to get us there's two things I want you to take away from this message today like I said I promise you it gets better it's somber right now but what am I trying to do here, friends? I'm trying to create a sense of awareness. See, if we don't recognize an enemy, we will not fight him. It's not up to us to bury our heads in the sand and pretend, oh, I can't see you, so you can't see me, because he does. 
He sees you because you carry a God spark in you. Your sexuality, human sexuality is designed in such a way to reflect God's love and desire for relationship and he wants to destroy that. And so we must live with a sense of alertness. Remembering that there Each and every one of us has a personal enemy whose only mission is to destroy each and every one of us. Now by that I mean that he wants to destroy God's design, which means that he wants to destroy our communion with God. The relationship, that's what he's out to destroy. The other day I was watching a cartoon with my grandson. You get this little boy, uh, it was an educational thing, and he's he a little boy being uh, learning what's right and wrong. And so on the one side, he's got this little angel sitting there on his shoulder, whispering in his ear, saying, you know, this thing, do this, this is the right thing to do. And the other side, he's got this equally cute little imp who's all red and horns and even got a pitchfork, right? And uh, he's saying, no, 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 to do this one. The point is this, my friends, that we don't, we don't face a cartoon enemy, It would be unwise for us to pretend that the enemy we have is some cartoon image. He's real, he's vicious, and he wants to destroy us. And very often we are oblivious to him until it is too late. It's a dangerous thing to underestimate our enemy. He's not a funny cartoon figure. He's a real threat to you and everything you hold dear. See, the idea of being alert and watchful and being on our guard is not something that Scripture ignores. All of Jesus' teaching and even the early apostles, you find this thread of be alert, be on your guard, be watchful. See, in his seminal piece on protecting ourselves that we find in Ephesians 6, Paul writes to the church and he says that we need to put on this armor to protect ourselves. And he concludes that passage with a call to being alert and persevering in prayer. In fact, he says this, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. To that end. To what end? What end is he talking about? See, if you go to the beginning of that passage, Paul writes this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, and here's the key, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. See, friends, when we hear stories like Tanita's, we become aware of the destructive power of the enemy. There are schemes and nothing's changed. It's not for nothing that he's still called the prince of the power of the air. It's not for nothing that scripture describes him as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's not for nothing that he's called the father of lies. It's not for nothing that he's called the accuser of the brethren. This is our enemy. And his primary weapons still remain lies and deception. One of the biggest lies that we find is that he tells us that the constraints and boundaries that God has put around human sexuality are there to deny us and not to protect us. The truth is, God has designed us with sexuality in us, but it is meant to be something beautiful and holy because it represents something beautiful and holy. And it represents a deeper, more meaningful relationship with our Creator. And when that is true, can you imagine that He wants to destroy it? Is it a surprise that we have an enemy who wants to destroy the relationship? See, His goal 
is not merely about getting you and I involved in pornography or or adultery or fornication. No, no, that, that's that's just the methodology. That's not the goal. The goal is to destroy our relationship with God. That's the goal. And so everything he does is about destroying that. And so how he does that is he lets us know or he lets us think that we are capable of deciding what is morally right and wrong in and of ourselves. That we can do that outside of God. Sex is just sex. It's okay. Nobody sees you. You're by yourself if you're indulging in pornography. You're not hurting anybody. What a lie. Everything around you impacts somebody else. At the very least, it will impact your relationship with God. Friends, I believe that scripture and the evidence of devastation around us, whether it be child slavery, pornography, whether it is whatever you want to call it today, there's just a whole plethora of things out there. These are evidence that's compelling and tells us we have an enemy and we need to be aware of what he's doing. So that's the first thing I want to leave with you. I know this sounds somber, my friends, but I promise you, remember that what we're doing here is we're building layer upon layer upon layer. And this is not a standalone priest. It's part of a series, and I'm trusting that in this today, all I'm doing is trying to create an awareness in you. Friends, do not be deceived. You have an enemy. There's a second thing I want to ask you to do with me today. And that's to take stock. An honest and sober self-assessment. It would be unwise to ignore or overlook some of the little niggles and warning signs that we feel even within ourselves. See, after a while, we become so immune that we don't even hear God because... We've silenced the voice of God so much. I'm asking you today, take, a, take stock of your own life. Because all it takes is one degree of drift. If you take a plane that leaves from here towards London, I think it flies about, who are the pilots in the room? What's the distance? About 7,000 miles, kilometers, whichever. Right? Well, all it needs, I don't know. <laughs> Big difference, miles and kilometers inches. Uh, but, but the point is this, when you store it up, if you drift by one degree, one degree, by the time you reach your destination, you are way off course. But it starts with one degree at this point. So perhaps you're in that space of thinking, ah, it's only a little thing. It's just one degree. It's no big deal. No one knows. No one cares. God cares. He cares because he's not designed you for drift. He's designed you for relationship. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Friends, it's so easy to let our guard down, and we can be overthrown in a moment. Now, these things took place as examples for us. 
that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. And this is the line I want you to take home. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And perhaps you're sitting there and saying, you know what, I'm okay. I'm alright, I don't do this stuff. I've not been through some of this stuff. I'm fine. Friends, take heed. None of us is exempt. If you profess Christ, you're a target. Because God's designed you in such a way that you are to reflect who he is and his desire for covenant. See, we live in a world with an enemy who is real, who is constantly at work, and he's got only one, one task. He wants to take everyone captive to do his will. That's what he's aiming for. Over the next week, I want to encourage you to allow this word to stir you. I know it sounds somber, but take a sober assessment of your life. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Maybe there's things deep inside. And I do pray that where you carry scars and wounds in your own life, in your own heart, that the nail-scarred hands of Jesus just reach out and minister to you. Allow the work. Don't, allow, don't rush past this because it's uncomfortable. Don't rush past this truth simply because, oh, that's not a great message. I came to hear that Jesus loves me. And he does. And he wants you whole. But that doesn't happen in a vacuum. Very often, we are the architects of our own downfall because we allow room for Satan in our lives. In her book, Dr. Julie Slattery points this out. Can I have the worship team up here, please? And for those of you who are distributing communion, perhaps. In her book, she says this, Unrepentant sin and unrecognized brokenness are two of the greatest barriers keeping people from knowing God intimately. Allow God, through the Holy Spirit, to minister to you. Friends, it is a fallacy to think that God is not aware. He's already aware. But he waits for us to come to him. In our ministry with Tanita, one of the things I tell her constantly is this. Whatever we keep in the dark is left there. But what we bring into the light, God deals with. If the Holy Spirit is ministering to you, allow him to draw those things into the light. And as you prayerfully open yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit, let him prepare you for next week where you will find hope. It's all right to allow yourself to visit those painful moments. It's all right for you to feel the shame as long as it's done with Jesus. Because he will take that off you. It's all right. It's all right to be open and honest with yourself and with God and say, Lord, I'm hurting, I'm broken, and I don't know what to do. 
God has given us the gift of human sexuality. And we have an enemy determined to destroy it. But equally, next week we will learn this. That we have a God who is busy redeeming his masterpiece, our sexuality.